Lord God, as we read in Psalm 13 and just heard beautifully sung, we still ask the question, how long? But we trust in your covenant love toward us and all your blessings, and our heart rejoices while we wait because of the abundance of your salvation. And so we can sing because you've dealt so bountifully with us, as the psalm declares. And we pray this morning that as we look into Luke 18 and we study more of this concept and this passage from Scripture that you would enliven our souls to wait with hope and with great patience and with great love for what you will yet do. We also want to pray this morning for the Master's Mission and Jim and Barb Teasdale who are joining us this week. We thank you for the vision for training and sending long-term disciple makers that you've given to them and to the Master's Mission over all these years. We pray that you would continue to raise up men and women to go to difficult places in the world to help start new churches that would worship you, Lord Jesus. I also pray that the gospel itself would transform their lives as they lead and teach others, as well as the students and globally, that you would continue to bring glory to your own name. And we pray for their week with us, that you would bless their time, their relationships, their conversations, and that you would make it well known to them that uh, you've had them here for this week to be an encouragement and to be encouraged. We also want to pray for a number of our brothers and sisters this morning. Um, we pray for uh, the Contarino family, and we give praise to you, first of all, for bringing Elijah home, and that he's in good health, and that you are blessing that family with, their, with the new child. We also want to pray for Lauren Scribo-Harris, who's in the hospital, and we ask that you would bring healing to her body and to her family. We pray for Lori Garrity and her recovery. We pray for Howie and Judy and their continual management of pain and being able to praise you through it all. We pray for Judy uh, Pittman, that you would give her rest and recovery and freedom from uh, medications. We pray for Betty and that you would continue to give relief and uh, that you would give relief to her in the midst of life's trials as well. And we also want to lift up to you, each of us, uh, others that are on our hearts that, uh, that we are concerned for at this moment. Lord, we ask that you would hear our prayers for mercy in our lives and in others' lives and our prayers for power that we pray in your name, Lord Jesus, that you would gain all the glory. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study in the, in the Gospel of Luke this morning, but uh, as I've been doing throughout the last year, we are, uh, recommend, I'm recommending to you a book to read each month, and, and this month it is uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, and so the link to buy it is in News and Notes. Um, but, you know, our theme this year is contentment in Christ, and, you know, one of the most important lessons I ever learned as a college student was how does contentment relate to evangelism? Because sometimes it's just so nerve-wracking to go out and do evangelism, but, and this question, the sovereignty of God, and how does that fit in with human responsibility? That's the question this book answers. It's a classic, modern-day classic, so I'd really encourage you to read that. Because the more content we are in Christ, the more effective we're going to be in our evangelism. And even more importantly, I think in a lot of ways, we're just going to have fun doing it. And it's going to be joyful because we understand who God is and who we are. Well, this morning we're looking at Luke 18. So you can turn your Bibles to Luke 18, 1 to 8, and the parable 
that is here of the persistent widow. But before we begin that, I have a couple scenarios to put before you. So a number of years ago, I was serving at a church in Chicago, and there was a luncheon for uh, the people of the church, and I happened to sit down across the table from a gentleman who is much older than I was. And throughout our conversation, I learned that uh, his daughter, who was 21 years old, was brutally murdered on the streets of Chicago. And he asked me how he should pray. Because I think he wanted a better answer than he had gotten from others. And here was a young new pastor. Maybe he had a better answer. You know, the church also suffers severely around the world. We think of places like the Sudan, parts of China, Myanmar, and other places. In fact, I think it's about this time of the year in February, actually, where the annual persecution list is published, and maybe our missions committee can help us find that, that list when it comes out in February. If not, I'll help you find it for others. But it's a wonderful list to be able to read through, know what's going on in the world, and how to pray for the church around the world. How should we be praying for the persecuted church? You know, injustice touches every one of us in our lives. It's not just these extreme examples, but there's injustice that takes place in our businesses. There's injustice that takes place in personal relationships, that takes place at your place of work, in society in general. So how should we pray in the face of injustice? What should we pray? What should we pray for one another? Because there's this unrelieved burden of injustice in the world that everyone feels and everyone wants removed. So how should we pray for a world and in a world in this context where we're just filled with great injustices and small ones as well, great evils and small evils, and especially when no one can really give us a satisfactory answer to the question, why? If you've gotten a satisfactory answer, let me know. I've never gotten one. And God himself seems to consider it appropriate to not give us all the details. And so when we face difficult situations, extreme ones, our minds can reason that, well, God must be really distant, and maybe he doesn't even really care. But it's in these times that we have to pray, and we have to make our souls see that God is really very near to us, and he's very concerned with what's going on in the world. So this is what we'll be looking at today in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, to pray persistently for God's justice in the world. You see, in reality, in reality, questions that ask about evil's presence in the world and how does that fit underneath God's providence, um, those are good questions. But relatively speaking, they're not as important with practical questions about learning how to pray in the midst of those circumstances, and how to live underneath that burden. So Luke is going to teach us, as the Lord teaches here, that we ought to be persistent in prayer, not giving in to despair in an evil world. And by praying with then hope and faith until he comes back and brings full and final justice in this world. So let me read the passage to you, Luke 18. And he told them a parable, this is Jesus, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, 
And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them soon. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this faith on earth? So the prayer lesson in our passage should be very clearly seen in this parable in the way Jesus introduces what he's going to say and in the way he concludes. The first verse says that he was telling them this parable so that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And what's the topic that he's talking about? It's in the concluding verse, in verse 8. This is why he wants us to pray this way. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them soon. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so Luke first introduces us to this parable. Jesus tells the parable, and then he applies it to us. And so in verses 1 to 5, we see the widow illustrating prayer for us. And then in verses 6 to 8, the Lord exhorting us to pray. Now, this parable is often known as the parable of the unjust judge, but it's better titled, as we've entitled it this morning, the parable of the persistent widow. The parable is unique to Luke's gospel. In other words, it doesn't occur in Matthew or Mark or John. And this parable really is not about prayer in general, that if you're a really good spiritual pest, God will give you what you want, right? That's not what this parable is about. It's not about prayer in general and being a pest to God and maybe you'll eventually give in. And the parable is also not primarily about the difference between God and this worldly judge, only partly so, but the content and the context of this parable is very important to note. And so if you were here last week, you know that we looked at Luke 17, 22 to 37, and that's very, very important contextually for now where Luke puts this parable. Because in that last passage, it was all about Jesus' return, Jesus' righteousness. It was about, if you remember, the example of two righteous men who lived in an unrighteous world, Noah and Lot, and how they longed for righteousness and to get out under the situation that they were in. And then comes this parable. And Jesus, but in verse 22, back in, that, in 17, he says, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Right? And so in this great delay that we talked about, prayer comes in. And this is the type of prayer that Jesus is putting before us this morning, prayers for justice, prayers for ultimate judgment, for the blessing of final universal righteousness for the people of God and for judgment upon the wicked. So that's why we ought to be persistent in prayer and not give up in this evil world, is to pray for faith and hope that when Jesus comes, all things will be made right for his glory. And so first we're given this illustration about this widow. There's an introduction in verse 1 to the whole parable. Very rarely do we get an introduction like this to a parable in the Bible. And so we get this introduction about what it's about, and then we have two characters that we need to pay attention to. One is this worldly judge, and the other is the persistent widow. And then finally, we see the, in verses 4 to 5, the resolution of the widow's case before this judge. And so the introduction is very simple, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
And so he's teaching about prayer. Again, Luke places this right after chapter 17, verses 22 to 37. They ought to pray. It's an imperative. They ought to do it. Uh, We must pray. We ought to pray. We need to pray. And as this parable goes on, and it's even in the introduction, is so that you will not lose heart. So we need to pray even for our own soul's sake. We ought to pray at all times, meaning again and again and continually be active in prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. They ought not to lose heart, meaning not giving in to despair in this world, because it will be that the answer seems to be coming so slowly. So Luke is specifically, again, talking about Jesus' return and the conclusion of history and its justice and its blessing that will come, and that will come out very strongly in this parable as we go along. The primary prayer taught by Jesus, anyway, if you go back to Luke chapter 11, when he taught his disciples how to pray, what's the very first petition to be prayed? That is, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom The most important thing ever to pray is may your name be glorified and may your kingdom be here. So we're to pray for the growth of the kingdom of God and its consummation for the glory of the Father and for Christ. This kind of prayer is easy to let slip from our minds because so many other concerns enter into our minds for prayer, probably for a variety of reasons, and maybe this kind of prayer, praying for such large things, that seems so undefined and so distant and so grand can be difficult to pray over and over. What's the reason for you? I mean, we're all weak at times, and we fail to pray for God's glory, for His honor, and this really should be our top priority in prayer. Well, enough for the introduction. We know what the parable's about, and now we're introduced to these two characters in verse 2 and 3, the worldly judge and, and the persistent widow. So he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So first we have this worldly judge, interesting description. Some suggest that we should see him as a corrupt judge, without shame, without conscience, by the description that he neither feared God nor respected man. But that's one way to understand that phrase. But others suggest that he might not be as bad as we initially think. And uh, he does not fear God nor respect man, most likely means anyway that he prided himself on his independent judgment. See, he didn't even take into account what God thought or what other people thought. He's such a great judge. You've probably met this guy before. So he's clever. Uh, It's not always a strength, of course, but he seems to be above compassion. It's not, it's not always a weakness. You, know, you don't want to get too involved in certain things. But ultimately, we know this is not a good description. I mean, when we read verse 4, um, it can, he seems to think it's a compliment maybe, especially as the, uh, the storyline goes on because it gets repeated. But you know this judge who thinks he can be purely objective and that that's a good thing. But it might be the case that True justice is going to come from a consideration of who God is, what his standards are, and by being involved 
and compassionate in those that are standing before you for a judgment. But we'll leave that to the legal experts in the room. I'm sure we have some here. But the reality is, of course, this judge is self-deceived, right? He's not as good of a judge as he thinks he is in this parable. He's a worldly judge. Jesus will call him unjust in a few minutes. Because he's relying only upon his own puny wisdom in comparison to what's available. So that's our worldly judge. Then we have a persistent widow, and she's not necessarily old and poor. And we tend to think that, it seems like we stereotype people from the biblical world, and uh, not, not all were. And in fact, you know, many women were widowed very young, just like they got married young. And uh, there was diversity in social status. There was a structure in society. It's not that everybody was one or, you know, rich or poor. Yet it's true that often widows were helpless and oppressed and taken advantage of. We know that it certainly would be a power disadvantage, and, and this widow suffered some kind of injustice, but it seems to be a financial matter here only. Notice she doesn't say anything about protection in this case, but she keeps coming before this judge, probably some small town, do me justice, she would say, and she wants justice against her adversary. Now, of course, this is a story, but why doesn't the judge give her what she wants? It would seem easy to just rule in her favor. So perhaps he's more susceptible to influences from the outside than he himself realizes. Perhaps he's favoring her opponent because that guy is his friend and is influential. That's not an uncommon problem. Perhaps uh, he doesn't see what really is just in this matter. Perhaps he's waiting for a bribe. It's a cultural reality in many places in the world, even today. It's how you do business. But whatever the reason, he makes a bad choice. Because God is always on the side of justice and is always on the side of people that are oppressed. The theme, this theme is prevalent throughout the Old Testament in the law and in the prophets. People of God are to care for people that are oppressed. And we have great confidence that it's encouragement to us when we suffer injustice that God is on our side, because he's on the side of justice always. In your case, other people's cases, people who suffer. So listen to just a few texts of Scripture regarding this. In Deuteronomy 27, Cursed is the one who distorts the justice that's due an alien, orphan, or widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Psalm 68, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 82, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Isaiah 1. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Malachi 3. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphans, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And in the New Testament, James 1.27 this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, then the resolution finally comes in her case, in verses 4 to 5 as the story winds up. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So after quite some time, the judge changed his mind on this case. So we sort of get the feeling that, you know, this parable, the story that Jesus is telling, is really something that people experienced in life. It's not that far from reality. Well, after quite some time, the judge decides to change his mind. Now, notice the judge repeats the description about himself for whatever reason, right? I don't fear God nor respect man, so apparently he thinks it's a compliment. Now, maybe it's, maybe it's just Jesus being a really good storyteller, and he wants to emphasize how unrighteous this guy is, that he would even apply that to himself. Perhaps the judge is declaring that, uh, you know, no one should confuse what's really going on here. I really do not fear God, nor do I respect man, so don't think I'm going soft. Maybe, in the storyline, he's reasserting his prideful independence, that he is above God and man. Well, regardless, he decides to give the widow her request for justice, and he does it because of her insistent persistence that she's going to soon wear him out. And then he uses the word, beat me down, which literally means hit him under the eye. It's like a boxing term. Uh, now, of course, the judge is probably not afraid that she's going to physically assault him, but uh, he's probably concerned somewhat about getting a black eye, if you will, figuratively, in his reputation in the community, because he's very proud of his reputation. He may not care much about it now, but at some point he would. Or maybe he's just simply getting a headache and getting exhausted dealing with this woman coming on the docket all the time. So, whatever the merits of the case, we don't know them. Whatever the true character of the judge, whatever the reason for the judge's unwillingness for this long time, and whatever excuse the judge now gives for his final decision, the insistent and persistent widow gets justice in the end. And so the widow illustrates prayer. Again, let's think about praying for justice in our lives. Even better, think about praying for justice in other people's lives in this imperfect world. You know, how insistently persistent are we in prayer for justice for other people, and ultimately that God's glory would shine through that in the world. Now, are we praying as we ought to pray, with an undying hope and a determined faith? I mean, this is what this widow teaches us, that we ought to be persistent in prayer, not giving in to despair. You see, it's really easy to give in to despair, and it happens very often where we just stop praying for it, because it doesn't seem to do any good doesn't seem to happen. Or we change our prayers. Instead of praying boldly for justice, we decide to back off and pray more meekly when we should be using strong words for God's justice and glory. So we are to pray for that, not give in to despair in this evil world, but pray with faith and hope that Jesus Christ will be coming back and he will establish justice in this earth. 
So then, second of all, so we get the story that Jesus tells, get an introduction from Luke, what it's all about, how we're not supposed to stop praying, and now we finally get the application, and it's very clear what Jesus is, why Jesus is telling the story. So he exhorts us to pray in verses 68. In verse 6, the Lord says, listen to the judge. And then in verses 7 to 8, he promises some justice. Some of it's going to be now, but a lot of it's going to be later. And then finally, in verse, at the end of the parable, he leaves us with a very penetrating question. And so in verse 6, he continues, he says, And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Pay attention to the story I just told you, is what he says. The first item to which Jesus draws our attention is the statement by this unrighteous judge. And the point he's making is here is a great example of a worldly, unjust judge. And if an insistent, persistent widow in my story, which is not far from your experience in life anyway, by the, by the way, he's saying, how much more easily would it be to move the righteous judge of the world and the world to come? God himself, who enjoys actually hearing prayers and the continual prayers of his people that are offered in faith and hope, who never gets worn out, but loves to hear his people pray for justice because it brings him glory. You see, in the comparison, we don't have to plead with God as if he is a worldly, unconcerned judge. They're set up as opposites in the story. Instead, we can ask with faith, with hope, we can pray with great love in our hearts and joy and peace that God our Father, the equitable one, will indeed bring judgment in his own time and his own way and for the magnification of Jesus Christ. This is a big, big difference between the way we tend to think about people in the world and what justice is and who God is and how he will bring it about. And then the Lord promises us justice. And God will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The implied answer is, well, of course he'll give you justice. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, He'll give justice to them soon. Some of your translations might say speedily or suddenly or something like that, but soon is the best translation. So the Lord promises some justice now. God will bring about justice for his chosen ones against their enemies. This is strongly affirmed. He's listening to our prayers. And we must understand and believe that, that he hears. He is concerned. We, as the elect of God, the chosen ones of God, cry out to him day and night in prayer from the midst of an unjust world. We long for the return of Jesus and justice and righteousness in the world and blessedness, and this is an encouragement to keep on praying again and again for that blessed hope of the day of Christ. The question is, will he delay long over them? There's a great variety of translations of this one. You may have a very different one in your Bible. But will he delay long over them? And perhaps one of the best ways to understand the question is like this. The answer is simple. No, he won't delay long. Will he delay long in giving you justice? No, he'll bring it soon. God will vindicate, give justice soon, even though there are often delays. And in the meantime, he's going to give you patience and provision. And he's going to limit how much evil evil can do. All in his way. And then verse 8 says that God will bring about justice for us soon. 
The meaning of the word here is in a relatively brief period of time. Now, we already know as Bible readers that whenever you read soon, that can mean a long time. Yeah, yeah. So he's not fooling us right, when he says soon. Yeah. Soon can be a long time still. But in the grand scheme of things, soon is soon. See? And when that day comes, or even when justice comes about in this world, in our life, we see some of the justice, we get a little glimpse of it, but we know there's more to come. And even when we get to that final day and we see justice finally uh, put into place, we will sit back and say, aha, I see. This is perfectly timed justice. Couldn't have been better timed. See, God has not forgotten his people. He's not forgotten us. He's not forgotten you and your distress. And he's going to provide some relief now in some form. But the final relief will not be until Jesus comes. But when it does come, it will be a final and a full relief, that's for sure. So we need to be patient and persistent in prayer. You know, Jesus said, it, and it's recorded at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, I'm coming soon. It's the same idea. So these two verses here at the end declare to us that in the present time, some justice will come. Evil will be lessened. God will protect us in some unique way. He'll relieve us. He'll do something. You've probably seen it and have your own stories to tell. But ultimately, all prayers for justice have to look beyond the present. In fact, they should even when we pray them. Like even when we pray for a particular injustice that we're seeing in this world, we should attach it to or attach to it a prayer for final justice so that we can see our present circumstances in light of the future ultimate reality and God's glory in everything. And so we need to keep on praying again and again for justice. And then finally we get to verse 8b at the end. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth, or the faith on the earth, or maybe even better, this faith on the earth, this kind of faith that he's been talking about in the parable and been applying to us. That's what he's concerned about here. He asks if at his return he's going to find people with this kind of faith, referring to the faith that's been expressed in praying for justice and his coming in the justice, what's being discussed in the parable, what's been illustrated for them. What two other examples he just got done giving, if you will, in the Gospel of Luke, just like Noah, just like Lot in their own respective unrighteous environments were praying continually with faith and hope, and God rescued them. You know, Luke began the parable saying that he was telling this to show them, again, verse 1, that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. It's clear, I think, at this point that the type of prayer under discussion here is praying for Jesus' return. As he mentioned earlier in the, in the gospel, the Son of Man, the glorious one. The figure in the book of Daniel and his vision, the Son of God who would bring justice to the earth in the final day in his kingdom. And so he insists with this question to focus our prayers, to encourage us to pray, to challenge us to pray more deeply. The question is a call for faithfulness and readiness by prayerfulness. He exhorts us to pray. So how is our faith expression expressed? In other words, how is our faith expressed in times of testing and injustice in the world. I'm sure that you found out, because I'm sure everyone has an injustice story in this room, and I'm sure that you found out that it is really challenging to pray 
when we are suffering injustice. It's really hard. It's so much easier to just act, it seems, and forget to pray. Is our crying out for justice done with a hopeful vision for the future and faith for the present suffering that we're going through? We have to wait on God to work out His justice. And we must wait by praying. We must be persistent in prayer. Not giving into the despair of the world, but pray with faith and hope until Jesus comes and establishes it. And he said he's coming soon. You know, so Christians can and should explore, there's a lot of theological questions that are probably popping up in your minds about evil's presence in the world. How does that work under God's providence? But a more important matter, as I mentioned earlier, is practical faith. Is how do you pray in the midst of that? Because that's what you really need to know to do. How to pray to God from the midst of evil. Our Apostle Paul told us in Philippians 1.29, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only that you should believe in him, but also that you should suffer for his sake. Did you know that last part was in there? It's like, you know, somebody, hopefully you heard that when you heard the gospel for the first time, not only has it been granted to you to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That's part of our calling. So, in a way, we don't want it all eradicated right now because it's a part of our calling. So we ought, in verse 1, in this passage this morning, it's good for us to remember, this is why Jesus told us parables, that we just ought to keep praying and not lose heart. So here are some um, prayer realities for you. I have three of them that hopefully you'll find helpful. I think you will by your own experience if you haven't already is that when you suffer injustice in the world or you're praying for others who are, we should be praying for with faith and hope, of course, of course, but we'll find that you don't need a lot of faith. And you don't really need a lot of hope either. You just need a little bit. And then once you start praying like this, you find that all of a sudden you have more faith and you have more hope. It's like, how did that work? What did God do in me? So as we pray, our faith and hope will be increased. So we don't have to say, I don't have enough faith to pray. I don't have enough hope to pray that way. You don't need to. You just need to get started. Because once you start praying, then God will bring that into your life. Second reality is that we should realize that our natural tendency is going to be toward despair. I mean, that's why he told this parable, because he knows us. You probably know yourself well, well enough to know that that's our natural tendency. If it were just up to us and our fleshliness, we would despair. This is a very despairing world. That's why you should never watch the news first thing in the morning. Right? It makes for an awful day. So that's our natural tendency. But if we pray, we find that that despair and discouragement disappears. It starts to melt away. It gets removed during prayer. So I'd really encourage you to try that. So first of all, your faith and hope will increase. So even if you don't have much, just start praying. Try it and see if you get more. Second of all, you start praying, you know, this despair that you feel, this heaviness, this burden, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's this unrelieved sense of injustice in the world that everybody wants gone. You talk to anybody on the street, they want it gone. Okay? But you know who to go to about this. And it will change your attitude. Third, we should also understand that you can't just do this once. 
right? You have to do it over and over and over again. And in a way, that's a good thing, because then you get to spend more time with God. But sometimes we tend to think, well, I already prayed about that, so, you know, why don't I have more faith or hope, or why hasn't justice come, or, you know, why hasn't my despair disappeared yet? And that's because we have to, ought to pray, and we have to pray again and again as long as we're in this world. And as long as we live here, we're going to have to keep praying this way. So, and then, second of all, as we look, well, the souls are the three things. Then, if, in an unju- if this unjust, worldly judge responds in the way he did, then how much more our God is going to respond in a positive way toward us who are his elect, meaning his chosen ones, meaning the ones he sent his son to redeem, meaning the ones that are loved eternally in Christ. So this is an invitation to pray for justice and to keep praying and to observe how he brings it about in this world and in the future. God will give you justice, some of it now, all of it at the end. So if you're suffering injustice and are trapped in some kind of a power disadvantage like the widow, or maybe suffering in business or in personal relationships or at work or from society, well, go ahead and pray for justice. Better yet, consider other Christians in this world, maybe even friends of yours, who are far worse off than you, and pray for them and help them. Meanwhile, don't let yourself over-focus on justice. You know, we can do that too. We're really good at over-focusing on things. But rather, just do this. Just do what it says. Pray for justice in the world and in specific examples. And then devote yourself to live out your calling in life, whatever it is, and complete the larger mission. You don't have to spend your time worrying about it all the time. Because as, Jesus, as, as the apostle already told us, you've been called to stuff, suffer in this world. It just comes along with with your salvation. Now, some of us might actually have a calling from God to produce justice in this world, to seek after it, to promote it. That's wonderful. If that's your calling, may God bless you. I think it's helpful to listen to these words from Revelation 6 about our martyred brothers and sisters and the answer that they were given. In Revelation 6, 9 and following, it says, And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Quoting many psalms. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. You see, God is controlling his history, and he's controlling his glory as it unfolds, just as he planned. You know, Luke decided to talk to us like he did because he wants to encourage followers of Christ to an enduring hope in a difficult world. And we still live in that same difficult world. And this is one of the marks of a true disciple of Jesus, is to endure with hope and faith and love in the midst of it all. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that you brought to us this morning. 
And we do ask that you would strengthen us to indeed pray as you've taught us to persist in prayer, knowing that we're going before a God who loves us, not before some unrighteous worldly judge sitting in the heavens. That you would guide us so that we would not give in to despair because our weakness would take us there. We pray that you would strengthen us and increase our faith and hope and give us even more than we have so that we can pray for justice with boldness and eagerness like you want us to, and that we can look forward even in those times of prayer to your full and final justice that you will bring when you come to this earth to establish your kingdom. And we pray all these things in your name and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.